Well, I've got to tell you, and a, a public speaker should never say this before he, start, he or she starts to speak, but I am tired. I exhausted myself in the first service, and I, I'm just wondering if I can ramp it up enough to deliver this message one more time. It's all fresh to you, but uh, I feel like I've laid my heart out on the line this morning, and so I just, I just need to kind of take a deep breath because I'm so excited about the um, speaking assignment I have this morning to talk about joy and celebration. We are wrapping up today a brief series of messages that Ben and I have focused for, on for the last four weeks. Today is the fifth of some of the classic spiritual disciplines. We've certainly not had time to look at all of them, but uh, we've picked out a few that maybe have not been paid enough attention to. And we have looked at Sabbath keeping and solitude and silence and prayer and last week at fasting. And today we conclude with the discipline of celebration. And it almost seems like that that is an oxymoron in itself, that we need to be disciplined to celebrate. But I think indeed that is the case uh, uh, in many of our lives that we don't uh, share and live in the joy of Christ that is ours and, and all that he's done for us. We're going to talk about joy and celebration, and I'm going to use those terms interchangeably this morning. Uh, there probably is, a, if you were nitpicking about it, a, a bit of a distinction between the two, but I'm going to use them interchangeably this morning, thinking about uh, our need for celebration and joy and engaging in this discipline. Now, I want to begin this morning with a question. I'm going to make you think for a minute to yourself. The question is this. What is the, has been the greatest day in your life thus far? The greatest day in your life. The best 24-hour unit of time that you've experienced in your life here on this planet. What would you say? How would you respond? Undoubtedly, uh, in a, a room filled with people, as many are, who are here, uh, there have been some extraordinary experiences that you've shared. Some, some days that probably you would like to relive because of the greatness of that particular day. There are probably some things that are common amongst us as great days. There was, first of all, the day that you were born, when you burst upon this world like gangbusters. And the world has never been the same since. There was that day, maybe you remember it, perhaps not, when you took your first step, teetering and wobbling like a weeble, but you wouldn't fall down. No longer a crawler, but now you were up on two limbs and you were walking and the world was never the same again. Perhaps your best day was that day when you spoke your first word, Mama, Dada, No. 
That was an amazing day when you gave birth to speech and you began to talk. And some of you haven't stopped since. <laughs> there was the day when you learned how to read. Remember it? See Dick run. See spot jump. And when you began to read, a, a whole new world opened up to you. It was an amazing day, the day you learned to read. There was that day when you got your first job. Do you remember it? I remember it well. I, I can't tell you what my first job was because I'll give away an answer in Married Life Live. But I remember my first job. I was, I was so happy when I got that first payroll check. After working in that part-time job, I remember the pride I felt when I went down to the, the little uh, First National Bank in Portville, New York, and, and I opened uh, my first checking account and had real live checks, and I could write checks, and I felt so, so powerful and so independent. It was an amazing day. There was that day when you went on your first date, or you had your first love. Do you remember your first love? Kitty O'Neill. <laughs> we used to write notes to one another in, in math class. Do you like me? I like you. <laughs> and there was a place for you to check off. Yes, no, maybe. Kitty O'Neill. I wonder what's happened to Kitty. Quite a name, isn't it? The name of the 60s and 70s, Kitty O'Neill. There was that day when you met your spouse, if you're married, you fell in love. The day you first kiss. The day your first child was born. The day you met God. The, may, the day you discovered His amazing grace and experienced His Outstanding forgiveness. But I want to suggest to you one more possibility, and I think that a great case can be made for this. That the greatest day of your life, as great as those days may be, that the greatest day of your life is this day right here. October 26, 2008. The greatest day of your life is right now. In this moment, not that this day is necessarily going to be pain-free or easy, because possibly it won't. Undoubtedly, for many of you, it won't be that way. But this moment that you and I have right now, it's what we've got. And it is a gift from God's hand. And we will never be able to replicate this moment with the people who are here in this place, on this day, in this time, in this way, again. We will only pass by this moment once. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may never come. But we have this moment. And it is a gift of God. And it should be for us a cause for celebration. 
It's so easy not to live in the moment. You know, I know lots of people who spend their entire life regretting something that happened in the past or wishing that they'd have the opportunity of a do-over. And I know lots of people who spend their whole lives waiting for one of these days to come, when their ship will come in, waiting for one of these days, or worrying about one of these days. And I can promise you one thing, that if you're always living in the past, or if you fall pray to the temptation of always waiting for one of these days and living in the future, waiting for some day. I believe that it will kill your joy. And you will not be able to celebrate the gift of this moment and the gift of God's goodness. Today, this day, is God's gift to us. That's why the psalmist said, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Did you notice that the psalmist didn't say, yesterday was the day the Lord made. That was a good day, wasn't it? (laughs) Or the psalmist didn't say, tomorrow is the day that the Lord will make. We'll be glad and rejoice when we get to tomorrow. No, he said, this is the day the Lord has made. It's this day. It's this moment. And we need to rejoice and celebrate this wonderful gift of God. Paul, in our text today, the text that Ben read for us a few moments ago from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, provides some final words of exhortation to sisters and brothers in the Lord that he dearly loved and cared for. And he gave them a list of some final instructions or exhortations about godly living, how a Christ follower should live. And his, um, his words are just stunning and, and so practical. And each one in themselves could be a sermon. He says, live in peace with each other. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Be kind to each other. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Avoid every kind of evil. But tucked there in the middle of this list of exhortations are these three words of instruction. It would be easy to jump over them and miss the import of these words. Paul says, Be joyful always. Be joyful always. It's a command. Rejoice always. No qualifiers, no caveats, no exceptions, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's a command. At all times, be rejoicing. And Paul says, no matter what your circumstances are, the the Christian, the follower of Christ, of all people, should be a person who is at all times rejoicing. You see, it's important to understand that, that Christian joy is not, is not tied to our circumstances. I understand and I, I'm fully aware that some of you are going through tough times physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally, that things are not going well for you. But our joy is not tied to our circumstance. Our joy, which Nehemiah says is our strength, 
is tied to the Lord himself. And because of God and who he is and what he has done for us, we should, of all people, be at all times rejoicing. Augustine of Hippo said it this way, that the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. I like that. Think of yourself as an alleluia, a word of praise unto God from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. We are to be rejoicing at all times. And that's what the spiritual discipline of celebration is all about. It calls us into the moment, into this day, this moment, to focus on God. This spiritual discipline of celebration calls us to focus on all that God has done for us on our behalf. It is the discipline of choosing gratitude rather than grumbling. It is the discipline of remembering with thankfulness rather than remaining indifferent. When we celebrate, when we engage in this discipline of celebration, we relive and we live out the history of God's blessing on His people and to us. And we take delight in, we take pleasure in, and have joy over how good God has been to us in specific ways and in various times. I like what Mark Buchanan says in his book, Your God is Too Safe. He describes celebration as the way we bring a small part of heaven down to earth. Listen to what Buchanan says. Celebration is the practice of lifting our eyes from our preoccupation with all the work we have to do and the trouble we're in and the money we owe and the reputation we strive to keep. Celebration is training ourselves in the midst of and in spite of all that might be amiss. Celebration is training ourselves to see heaven. It's the discipline of setting joy before us so that we might throw off everything that hinders and run the race marked out for us, that we might endure and not lose heart and not grow weary. You see, I believe that joy is absolutely necessary to the Christian life. It is the motor that keeps the rest of it running. That is why Paul included it among his list of nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. Joy glues it all together. But we need to remember that Christian joy is not happiness and pleasure. There are many things that bring us happiness. There are many things that bring us pleasure. One that brings me great pleasure, pleasure is eating an ice cream sundae especially if it has hot fudge and Spanish peanuts and whipped cream and a maraschino cherry on top. That might bring me momentary pleasure, but it is not the source of my joy. Shopping for some might be a pleasure, but ultimately shopping is empty. It doesn't bring lasting satisfaction. The pursuit of money may be a pleasure for some, but let's face it, it, it does not satisfy the longings of our heart. We attest to that by the famous reply of the industrialists of the 19th century 
who, when he was asked how much money was enough to bring him happiness, he replied, just a little bit more. These things might bring us temporary happiness or pleasure, but they are not the source of our joy. True joy, Christian joy, only comes from our experience of our great God and His goodness toward us. Dallas Willard says this, You will not understand God until you understand this about Him, that God is the happiest being in the universe. The happiest being in the universe. You see, my friends, joy is at the heart of, of who God is. And we'll never understand the significance of joy in our own lives until we understand the importance of joy to God. And I believe that most of us underestimate the capacity that God has for joy. I think God has a marvelous sense of humor. I see evidences of that in all of his creation. And I believe that most of us underestimate his infinite capacity for joy. I I want to read for you this morning a a quote from a a great thinker and writer by the name of G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy. It's a great book. You ought to read it. It's a heavy plow through. Let me warn you, it's thick, it's ponderous, but it is rich. And in that book, Chesterton writes about the joy that you see in a little kid and that the joy in a little kid is just a fraction of the joy that exists in the heart of God. And at the end of his treatise on this is one of the greatest sentences that I've ever read in my life. This is what Chesterton says. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. Let me just pause there for a moment. If you don't remember. Do you remember, if you're a parent, do you remember your children wanting, they found something that was fun and they wanted to do it again? Remember when the kids were small, I would cross my legs and I'd put one of them on, you know, here on the ankle and we'd do to market, to market, to buy a fresh pig, home again, home again, jiggity jig, to market, to market, to buy a fresh hog, home again, home again, jiggity jog. And the kids would just squeal with delight and they would say, do it again, daddy, do it again, to market, to market, to buy a, do it again, to market, to market. Until I felt like my leg was going to fall off. But there is this boundless vitality in a child for a joyful experience. They never get tired of it. Chesterton goes on and says, And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. Is it... Possible. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun and to the moon. Do it again in every evening. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. This last sentence, I think, is crucial. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. 
for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Isn't that a fabulous thought? That our father is younger than we. We have sinned and grown old. We're worn down, worried, jaded, cynical, irritated, rushed, harried. We've sinned and we've grown old. And our father is younger than we. Our God has a penchant to celebrate. And every morning he says to the sun, Do it again! And every night he says to the moon and the stars, do it again. And he never tires of celebrating the goodness of his creation. But somehow, we get tired of it. Children, it seems to me, have an easier time with joy than adults do. Their children are more spontaneous. They, they live more in the moment. They're, of course, they're not weighed down with the concerns that you and I have in, in our adult world. But it seems to me that children are, are less concerned about what is proper and what the rules are. They're more willing to live in the moment. I was struggling to find a, a, a picture of this spontaneous joy from my own experience and I finally settled on one picture that I think might make it clear to you. Uh, many years ago, when our, our daughter, our oldest, Jessica, was young, uh, you know, the twins were born when Jessica was 16 months. And, and so Kathy had just like a, her own nursery school, uh, keeping it all together. And one of the things that she would do while she was attending to the boys is for half an hour, she would put Jessica in front of the television set and Jessica was not content to sit and watch the television. She had to get right up next to the screen and experience it. And when, when the song, sunny day, sweeping the clouds away, on my way to where the air is sweet, can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street. Well, when that came on, Jessica would start to do this little sunny day, keeping the clouds away. Nobody told her to do that. Nobody taught her to dance. But she was living in the moment. It was a gift. The music caused something to stir within her her emotions and her body and caused there to be an expression of unrestrained joy. There was something so spontaneous about that little dance. It was in the moment. But as Chesterton put it, we've sinned and we've grown old. We've forgotten how to be joyful. We've forgotten what it means to celebrate the moment. But this is what we were made for. We were made for joy. Lewis Smead says, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason of your existence. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. 
Probably the single most famous statement from the Westminster Catechism is the line, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Could I ask you a question? When's the last time in the moment you enjoyed God? You celebrated His goodness? Or as Paul puts it, you rejoiced in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, when I engage in the discipline of celebration, I make an intentional, focused effort to concentrate on the goodness of God. Not my circumstances, not my life situation, but I choose joy. I choose to focus on God and acknowledge that my life and this day is a gift of God's grace to me. And in response to that, I express my gratitude and my delight in God with spontaneous celebration. The problem is that many of us have allowed life and its circumstances to steal our joy and to get in the way of joyful living. And it seems to me that one of the things that is most prone to get in the way of joyful living is our desperate desire as Christians to do things right, to get it right. I call this terminal earnestness. It's a condition wherein we are so desperate, it seems to me, we are so desperate to get things right in this matter of spiritual affairs that in the process we squeeze the life and the joy out of it. We become like dead automatons. We just go through the spiritual routines, doing all the right things, standing when they tell you to stand and sit when they tell you to sit and read when they tell you to read. And how would you know to clap on a song unless the worship team would begin to clap and suggest it? But we want to make sure we do it right. And in the process of wanting to do it right, we squeeze the life out of it. It happens among church leaders. I see this, this temptation among church leaders today. Doing church right. Having the latest and greatest programs from the most successful churches. Do church right, like Saddleback. Do church right, like Willow Creek. Do church right, like this one. Do church right. The right worship band, the right worship songs, the right lighting, the right sound. But there's no joy. And we become so worried about doing it right that we become like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who who practiced absurdities and lost sight of the marvelous God who was in their midst in the moment. Was right there with them. But so often we're like that. We're so obsessed with doing church right or doing the Christian life right that in the process we squeeze the life of the Spirit out of it. And the joy is drained out of our walk with God. There's no joy. There are no alleluias. There's no sense of celebration. No longer is the flag of joy flying high from the castle of our hearts. 
You have to be in Sunday school to know that reference. Do you remember that song? Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. But where is that gone? Now we need to sing. Sing about the goodness of God. I will celebrate. Sing unto the Lord. We're so worried about getting the right books on the Christian life. Christian marriage, Christian parenting, Christian dieting, Christian exercise, Christian ecology, Christian relationships, Christian Bible study, Christian financial management, Christian business practices. And we miss out on the joy of living in the moment and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and His love endures forever. We become so obsessed with the externals of being a Christian that we miss out on any joy in our walk with God and we become what I call terminally earnest. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that we give in to that nagging voice that whispers in our ear and says that if we don't get it right, then if we cannot get it exactly the way that it's supposed to be, then we will be failures. And I see a paralysis in the church today and the joy in the life of the Spirit is drained out of it and I would include our own church in that company. James says every good and perfect gift is from above. You know, I realize a lot of people have this idea that God is over here and the things that bring me joy or happiness over here and they don't meet. But celebration allows us to connect the dots and say, the thing that brings me joy is my walk with God, is God Himself. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything that, that brings me joy and delight and makes me go, wow, God, it, it is from God. Coming down from the Father of lights. God is the source of our joy. He is our strength and our shield. And the idea of the discipline of celebration is on, on, on this focus of celebrating in the moment the goodness of God. Now this idea is certainly not foreign to the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, you will find uh, again and again references to celebrations. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know that there are a lot of instructions about people coming together for a feast day or a celebration. It's interesting that in the midst of the Old Testament, which a lot of people think are the tales of an angry taskmaster God, that you find a God who is continually demanding his people to have a feast and to celebrate something. Celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Celebrate the Passover. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Celebrate the Harvest. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Again and again, an admonition to celebrate. God knew that celebration was a key part of a healthy and balanced life and that it was a mandatory part of life. And so... People in the Old Testament were commanded to celebrate. One example of that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14 and verse 26, Moses is telling the people that they're supposed to take a certain portion of their money uh, and to set it aside 
for a big celebration. Look at what Moses tells the people to do. Verse 26, use the silver to buy whatever you like, buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord and your God, and you shall do what? You shall rejoice. Now, understand, that's not a license there in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26, a license to substance abuse. But it is an indication, I think, to some extent, that we need training to be joyful. We need to be reminded of the importance of celebration. We need to practice it. So as I close this morning, how do you practice celebration? Well, first of all, you delight yourself in God. You, you find him the joy of your desire as the instruments played this morning. You learn to, to live in the moment and enjoy the moments and the gifts that God has given you. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your church. Enjoy your worship. Don't see it as a drudgery. Enjoy it. Sing. Dance. Shout for joy. Throw a party that celebrates something good that God has done. Learn to laugh and not be so serious. Enjoy clean humor. Be creative and Enjoy the simple things of life. Learn to celebrate the goodness of God as you paint or as you draw or as you cook or as you decorate or as you play golf. Enjoy the goodness of God for the beautiful day that He's created while you're walking around the links. Celebrate the seasons of your life with special celebrations as you mark a birthday or an anniversary or something in your life. Be creative and don't be afraid to have fun. Of all people, Christians should be the ones who have the most fun. Because our burden has been lifted. Our sins have been forgiven. We've got a glorious future. Why are we so serious? Celebrate the wonderful God who has given us such wonderful gifts. Taste and see that the Lord is good and His love endures forever. There's a book that I've used in my personal devotional time for over 20 years now. It's a book entitled The Disciplines for the Inner Life, compiled by Bob and Michael Benson. And in a chapter about celebration, there's a poem that really gets to the heart of what I'm saying this morning. And it says this, Celebrate now. Don't wait until tomorrow. Live today. Celebrate the simple things. Enjoy the butterfly. Embrace the snow. You'll have an opportunity for that this week. Run with the ocean. Delight in the trees or a single lonely flower. Go barefoot in the wet grass. Don't wait until all the problems are solved or all the bills are paid. You will wait forever. Eternity will come and go, and you will still be waiting. Live in the now with all of its problems and its agonies, with its joys and its pain. Celebrate your pain, your despair, your anger. It means you're alive. Look closer. Breathe deeper. Stand taller. Stop grieving the past.
there is joy and beauty today. It is temporary, here, now, and gone. So celebrate it while you can. Celebrate today. I've not been very good at celebration and having fun. I grew up in a rather stoic family that is rather prim and proper. We didn't know how to have much fun. But my wife is teaching me how to have fun. One of the ways that she's teaching me to have fun uh, happened early in our married life. It was our habit after dinner to take a walk. And every once in a while when we were walking together, husband and wife, Kathy would squeeze my hand and she'd look up at me and she'd say, let's skip. But always wanting to please my dear one. And I bet you don't think I know how. I skipped with her. And even though the bones are getting older and the muscles tighter, there are still times when we walk when she'll look at me and say, let's skip. It's not a pretty picture now, I tell you. But there is in that, there is in that an air of celebration in the moment. Recognizing that we have this moment today. I'm going to close this service differently than I did the first. Kathy, I'm going to ask you to come to the piano and I'm going to sing, because I know you won't want to, a song that has been our life song, really. And it talks about celebration and living in this moment. I have not prepared for this, so she may have to feed me a word from time to time. But we'll make it work. The music of living happy sounds from the laughter of children at play. Oh, my hand as we run through the sweet fragrant meadows, making memories of what was today. Voice 
that I hear is my little girl calling for daddy to hear just what she has to say. And my little sons running there by the hillside may never be quite like hollering, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Dismiss us, O God, with your joy, and may we be conveyors of that joy out in the highways and the byways and marketplace where we go. And as we celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness to us as your servants, may we explain to them who don't understand our joy May we be able to cogently explain to them that you are our source and the source of our joy. Dismiss us with your blessing and your peace, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.